Welcome to, or welcome back to, the Journey Through Life podcast. I am Justin Barton, and this is my show. Now, some of you may or may not have already listened to this podcast before. You may be tuning in for the first time because you know the current guest who will be on this episode. Now, this episode is going to be a fantastic one, but I also encourage you to look back and listen to previous episodes. There have been so many powerful and meaningful conversations that I've had with just amazing, ordinary people who have extraordinary stories. And that's what this podcast is all about. It's also about um, allowing and creating a space where people can reflect on their own lives and look inward to learn lessons from the life lessons and experiences of the guests on this show. I also invite my awesome guests to share some of the things that are most important to them so that future generations can receive words of wisdom directly from those who live their lives and experience the world today. Now, if you have not already subscribed, go do it right now in whatever podcast platform you are hearing this on. That way, you can continue to reflect and learn from the experiences of current, past, and future guests. You can also like us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle on both of those places is at JTLpodcast. Also, you can check out the website and nominate yourself or a loved one to be a future guest right here at www.jtlpod.com. Now I'm going to do a quick read from our amazing partners of the Journey Through Life podcast. The first one is a fantastic and great company that fits perfectly with the theme of the Journey Through Life podcast. It's called A Life Untold. Now, A Life Untold is a company that helps absolutely anyone turn their life story into a beautifully designed hardcover book. Their process is designed to be easy for everyone. All you need to do is complete an interview with thought-provoking questions about your life. You can either do that online or get one of their biographers to interview you live over the phone. After the interview is complete, A Life Untold takes over and designs, prints, and delivers your life story as a hardcover book right to your door. It makes a great gift to a loved one in your life or will be a great project to do on your own. Either way, this life story, bound in a printed book, is something your family will treasure for generations. Now, I'm grateful to announce that listeners of the Journey Through Life podcast will save 10% on all orders by using the code JUSTIN at checkout. That's J-U-S-T-I-N when you check out. All of the details about this um, awesome product and service are found at their website at alifeuntold.com. Now, remember to use that promo code Justin when checking out at that website. Now, once you get that hardbound book and you can combine it with other heirlooms and other important items from your life and the lives who have gone before you, where are you going to put that? Uh, I, I tell you what, I'm going to put mine on my beautiful, stylish, and modern solid walnut floating shelf that I just installed in my house a couple of weeks ago. And if you've never seen a floating shelf, you need to go and check it out at www.shepherdbrackets.com Shepherd is spelled S-H-E-P-P-A-R-D and then check out the revolutionary design that Shepherd Brackets invented and manufactures right here in the U.S. with high quality, heavy duty materials. Shepherd Brackets has teamed up with Radford Pines Home Decor to make floating shelf kits that come complete with a solid walnut, alder, white oak, or poplar shelf that has been drilled, routed, and finished to fit perfectly with the shepherd bracket of the same size. It's a beautiful product and a beautiful partnership. And now the Journey Through Life podcast has teamed up with them to give you, the listener, a great deal on a very high-quality product. 
that will beautify your home or office and stand the test of time. Go to shepherdbrackets.com, check out the shelf kits, and then use promo code JTLPOD5 at checkout to save 5% on your order. This is awesome. I love these two partners, and I hope that you will go and check them out. And if you find either one of those products and services useful, please purchase. Now I want to introduce our guest. Today's guest is one who I met a couple of years ago, and I just thought that what he did for a living was fascinating. So when I reached out to him, I had the intention of learning more about what he did for a living. And we definitely go into that. But we also learn about his life and lessons learned and wisdom gained. And really, this conversation with John Dubois, I think, will challenge and cause each of us to think a little bit and reconsider some of our perhaps preconceived notions on the tricky and sensitive topic of suicide. This is such a meaningful and deep conversation. Very much of this conversation is focused in LDS doctrine and LDS um, culture. So if that is something that's not interesting to you, look past that and listen to the message. This message seriously will and can change your heart, your mind, and really make you a better person. I heard so many one-liners. I mean, my, my show notes in doing this conversation is just packed. I have so many notes here that I think will, well, they've really strengthened me, and I trust that they will really strengthen you. I have entitled this episode, We Are All in Kindergarten, A Journey Through Life with John Dubois. Now sit back and enjoy. This will be a fantastic hour and one that will definitely be worth your time and mine. Well, good, John. So I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful that you're willing to sit down with me and have this conversation. I think we're going to have a really good conversation and, and get some good insights into your life and experiences and the things that have brought you to where you are today, as well as just life in general. Sure. So, so, John, tell me a little bit about where you come from, kind of your foundation from your early days of life. Sure. I'm a military brat, and mm. so traveled all over and, and lived in Germany, lived in Texas, lived in Oklahoma, Wyoming, all over. Um, and so friends became a, a pretty powerful influence on me, just from uh, having to make friends pretty fast because they don't stick around because we're all military brats, and, and they would come and go and we would just make do. And then I happened to go on a mission. And so that brought me to Phoenix, Arizona, and that changed my life quite a bit because I realized, oh, there's life outside of a military base. Mm. What's that all about? Mm. You mean there's plumbers outside? I didn't realize that there was even, I didn't have any concept of what life would be like. Mm. And so that brought in my perspective trillion percent hmm. was never really in the mainstream of the church didn't know what BYU was okay. didn't really know anything other than conference as far as the culture of the church hmm. but you were brought up in the church yeah. just in a military yep. in a military kind of yeah I guess, huh? so I often comment that I was baptized twice because my mom was uh, pregnant with me when she got baptized oh. <laughs> and so uh, so yeah so that was my bringing just converts from my parents and they were both Catholics mm -hmm. uh, went to parochial school and did all of that and then 
um, yeah, I went on my mission and then the rest just kind of, then I did the, what is it? The rank and file mm. of you go to church, you have a family, you get a job, you do this, you do that. And, mm-hmm. and then we are here. So Very cool. So I, I love the way you said, and I just happened to go on a mission. Yeah. So <laughs> tell me about that. I just happened to go on a mission because that's, it's not what you typically hear, but I want to, yeah. I want to get a little background on that. Um, I, there are two defining moments there. Uh, I remember meeting with a Navy recruiter, mm-hmm. and um, he was ready to sign me up. And I was like, you know, that sounds great, but I want to go on a mission. And it's the first time I can recall even thinking about a mission. Hmm. But And they said, well, you could do a chaplain or things like that. And I was like, sounds good, but not mm-hmm. the same. Right. And so not yet. Uh, we're we're going to go on a mission. And then I... Didn't even think about it. Hmm. Got invested and interested in, in my girlfriend and, and friends and life. And and then my best friend came to me one day after, it was probably January, and my birthday's in November. Hmm. And he said, hey, I just thought I'd let you know I put in my mission papers. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I should do that too. Hmm. And so I met with my bishop and I put my papers in and then I went. So it wasn't like... I was overly prepared or something that I had been looking to for all my life. Um, we just didn't have that kind of upbringing where mm. we were constantly thinking, yeah, we're going to go on a mission. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Hmm. So just that's why it just happened it just to happen. Happened. So interesting. Well, good. So tell me a little bit about that mission process. Where, where did you were called to Phoenix? What uh, did you have any particular experiences on your mission in addition to the opening up to, hey, there's more out there than the military that kind of maybe a little bit of a hinge pin moment in your life that shifted you in a different direction than what you originally thought you would be going in? Sure. Uh, When I was in the MTC, Mm -hmm. I was pretty lonely. Friends were still pretty important to me. And so I went up there and I was from San Antonio, Texas at the time. And it was really cold in March. And so I remember the second weekend at the MTC. And that's in Provo, Utah. In Provo, Utah. Mm -hmm. It was a weekend. Um, My companions, there was a foursome of us. uh, Two were going to Phoenix. Two were going to Tucson Mm -hmm. for their service mission. And um, there was this ballroom competition going on up at BYU. And one of of the companions was a professional ballroom dancer. Mm -hmm. And he was really having a hard time not being able to cross the street and go to the go to that ballroom competition mm-hmm. and um, and then it started setting me off going yeah it'd be fun to be hanging out with friends and uh, there was this picture of Jesus Christ that we have everywhere where he's wearing the red mm-hmm. kind of cloak and the the teacher was telling us how the artist put half of the face as stern and half the face as happy to show the justice and mercy mm. And made a comment that, well, you can kind of know where you're sitting uh, with him based on this picture. Mm. And if you see him as stern, maybe you need to address some things in your life. And if you see him as as happy, then you're probably in a pretty good state. Mm. And I looked at him uh, and through the rest of that little break of, of time during that lesson. And he was just uh, pretty stern. Mm. And I went... Um, that's not okay. Hmm. I'm giving way too much up if you're not going to be happy with me. 
So I wrote a note to my companion and I said, I'm not cut out for this mission thing and I'm out. Mm. And so when they had a bathroom break to go get a drink, I left. Oh. And uh, But I'm in Utah and they don't exactly give us a whole lot of money. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't even know what direction was north, south, east or west. <laughs> so I um, started walking around and just walked and then felt like, well, that's not going to get me very far. So you just walked off the MTC? Yeah, I just left. Just went AWOL. Yeah, AWOL. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I found a, and there was snow on the ground, so I was like, well, it's cold outside. Mm-hmm. But I found a little break in the snow. It was by a tree, and I knelt down, and I just prayed and yelled at God mm. for, well, until I was tired of yelling. And then I just talked, and then when I was tired of talking, I got up, and I started walking mm. again. And so about 100 paces, a van pulled up to me and said, hey, you look like an elder. What are you doing? Where's your companion? And I said, probably in class where he belongs. And they were like, oh, well, then why don't you get in? (laughs) And so I got in, and they brought me back to the MTC. And as soon as we got out out of the van, my companion and the other two in the room were right at the front, and they ran up to me. And that's when the Lord told me, I heard you. I still care. Mm-hmm. And so that was the lynch point. Mm. I was like, if he cares, then I'll care. Mm. And I'm willing to put forth the effort if he's willing to continue to make sure that I'm okay. Mm. So, wow. So you said you just walked off campus at the MTC and were just walking, didn't know where you were going to go. Was there any thought after you got up from this angry prayer of what you were going to do next? It was just, I'm just... No, at that point, I didn't care. Huh. You didn't care. (laughs) There was just, I don't care what happens to me. If I step off the the curb right now and a bus hits me, I don't care. Yeah, I I wouldn't say I was suicidal. Okay. Um, I'm pretty familiar with that now. Right. Uh, right. So I I know that wasn't the case, Uh but it was more a... uh, a resignment or a resignation of, of will, just like, well, I have no plans, mm-hmm. have no money, have no sense of direction. So I'd rather move than stay put. Mm. I'd rather just do something than do nothing. Mm. So that's where I was. Okay. I was more just moving to move. That I was cold. Yeah. <laughs> and that'll, that'll motivate you to move a little bit. Too, it does. Huh? It does. <laughs> Awesome. So you then served a mission. I'm assuming yep. you had some good experiences there. Are there any of those that you want to share at this time? or um, Just that the mission kept tying me in. There were several experiences that helped reinforce the fact that I'm a little boy mm-hmm. of my Heavenly Father, and he knows about me, and he knows about all of everybody else, and um, that even when it's hard... Mm-hmm. He still cares. Mm-hmm. And so that became kind of a foundational, uh, I guess, rock for me. When everything else in life, which does happen, things fall apart, and then you have to kind of put things back together. Yeah. I always knew that. I always knew that I'm his boy, and he knows me. Mm-hmm. He knows that I'm here. And, yeah. And so... Everything else, while there have been quite a few opportunities, that ends up being always the underpinning message is that 
I'm his boy mm. and you're his boy and they're his girls and boys and that we are for some reason special to him. Interesting. I love how you said I'm his little boy at first when you said that. Yeah. Um, I, I put myself back as a 19 through 20 something year old kid, you know, but adult legally mm-hmm. in my own mind at that point, I, that concept of being his little boy would have been kind of, it would have sounded wrong to me, you know, but I look at it now in my life. And even as a 40, how 44 year old, old person, person, <laughs> I now can say, I'm just a kid in comparison to, to God. I'm just a baby. So, so how, as you said, you know, I'm his little boy, I'm his boy. We're sure. all his boys and girls. How does that, you know, oftentimes I'll say I'm a son of God, sure. and to me that means it's bigger in stature mm-hmm. than a little boy or a boy or a girl. So tell me yeah. what your thoughts are on that, because that's interesting to me. I believe, or I, I take the premise that we are like in kindergarten. Mm. Uh, we just got this body. Mm. And so as a result of getting this body, um, we're just barely learning how to how to move. And... Um, when we first in child development, you see a kid, first thing they start doing is they find their hands and they start eating them, mm-hmm. right? And that's how they learn about their environment is through their mouth mm-hmm. and their feet. They learn where they are and, and they experience their feet through their mouth. I picture that this life now is very much just our introduction to this body. Mm-hmm. And as frustrating as it is, I give myself and everybody else a lot of grace with that because we're just learning. Uh, we don't have a whole lot of mastery over this physical being of ours. Uh, there's a lot of insights or a lot of things that we just have as a result of being mortal uh, that come from DNA that aren't necessarily defining by us. Is that is that kind of the perspective you saw things at even then on your mission or was it a I want to control this I want to learn to be in charge of what I've got here I don't I don't know if that makes sense what I'm saying I always obeyed the word of wisdom Mm -hmm. because I didn't like what alcohol did Mm. Um, being a military brat alcohol is very prevalent Mm. in in a uh, military world you can drink at 18. Smoking, I often found that I liked breathing. Mm-hmm. So um, that kind of thing wasn't an issue. And so I just kind of, I think that was the, the first stage of realizing that I have some control over this physical body of mine. I don't have as much control as I'd like. I would love to be able to sit and to focus on, on things, and I don't have the same capacity to do that as several of my friends were able to. Mm. Um, I don't have the same brilliance to be able to solve math problems or to solve different things. So mm-hmm. um, I give myself a lot of grace knowing that at some point I'll be good at it. Mm. I'm just not good at it yet, and right. that's okay. I don't have to be. Mm. That's going to come whether it come through my own personal development or the grace is just going to and uh, enhance my capacity to perform or do something. Um, and one of the quotes that I loved as a kid was, um, I think it was Henry, 
David Throw mm-hmm. uh, that Joseph Fielding Smith used to always quote, that which you persist in doing becomes easier, not because the nature of the task has changed, but your capacity or your ability to do has increased. Mm. And so uh, that just kind of was my way of being patient with myself. Mm. I, I don't have to be good at it first. Right, but it sounds like with that quote and with the things you're talking about, you know, you give yourself grace for not being good at it at first, but it sounds like you're pretty persistent in in chasing yeah. many of those things if and not giving up, correct? Yeah, if it's important, as long as it's important, mm. as long as I see, still see value in it, mm. um, things change. And, and how do you determine if something's important mm. and worthy of pursuing further? Generally, prayer and... And just passion. Passion? Yeah. Okay. So let's go back. You're home from your mission. Yep. What are you doing now <laughs> at that so point? So as soon as I got off my mission, I went home. I was home for two weeks, didn't give a homecoming talk mm. um, because it was conference, and mm. then I was gone. Mm-hmm. I came back to Phoenix. Mm. I knew a lot more people uh, in Phoenix than I did in San Antonio, mm-hmm. being a military brat and, and such. Everybody changes, and everybody moves. So I came back here, for, uh, came back to Phoenix for a job, um, and was working construction. And actually, I was doing seminars for uh, a dental front office training. Oh, I had no experience in it, but I was good about good at talking to people. And so <laughs> they said, "Why don't you come work for us?" And so I did that for a little bit, and then did construction, and then met my wife, and got married after that. And from there, it was. I was in Phoenix. Yeah. Uh, and that just kind of became home. Very good. So how long did you live in Phoenix before you, because now you're in the Spokane area. Sure. So, so how long were you there? Well, I got on my mission in 93 and I left in 2013. So okay, so, you so were 20, 20 years. years. Yeah. Very good. So what brought you to Spokane? Um, I was a college recruiter for Grand Canyon University. Okay. And so we had gone, my wife and I had gone to, uh, North Carolina on a trip, and uh, we li- were like, well, there's a lot of world out here. Mm. We should maybe be open to, to going places. Mm. And so the opportunity to, uh, to come up to Spokane opened up, and so we said, uh, Spokane's as good a place as any, I guess. So we packed up. I came up a Memorial Day weekend, uh, drove up and parked a car and found a house, and the next weekend we had a moving van and we came on up. Wow. So and is that working, still working with Grand Canyon University at that time or was that? Mm-hmm. All right. So it seems kind of on a, on a whim, I guess, but I don't think it would qualify quite that way. Tell me what led into that decision. We've got a little bit of background information. Go a little bit sure. deeper with that. Sure. Just knowing that it was uh, kind of our desire to do more mm-hmm. to, go somewhere. My wife's mom died, and so we were less tethered mm. to Phoenix, and so we were willing to, to travel out a little bit. Um, though I would say that we are, are pretty missing family, mm. missing the, the whole concept of cousins and, and brothers and sisters and such like that, uh, especially as holidays come. That tends to be a little more uh, lonely. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't, I wouldn't say it was random, but it didn't, it happened really fast. Mm. So when the opportunity presented itself and, and GCU came and said, hey, 
would love you to go up to Spokane and recruit for us. I was like, okay, well, we uh, prayed about it and we were like, sure. And so we did. And then it was more pretty rapid. Uh, Within a month, we were packing, trying to sell our house and, and coming up. Very cool. And do you see, looking back at that, I mean, you did mention, hey, it's a little bit lonely without family and cousins and stuff like that at times, but do you see the hand of God in what you are doing here now, maybe? I would have never gotten into social work. Mm. Um, And when I lost that position at GCU, a ward member was the one that got me over to what I'm doing now. Um, he said, hey, you'd probably enjoy this. You'd be good at it, so why don't you uh, apply? And and I did, and, and they said yes to me. So um, I do think that in my conversations with Heavenly Father that it's been, yeah, I'm, li- I'm guiding you, I'm directing you, but, sh- man, there are times when you look back and you go, but why? Mm. Where you're just like, I'd like a little more illumination on the, on the forward or the backwards mm. perspective. Let's go to one of those places that, sure. that, you, that jump out at you and talk a little bit about that, the, a place where it's like, why did I or am I going through this situation? Sure. I am leaning more towards, and, and this is all in development because mm-hmm. I, I believe I'm in kindergarten and my perspective and understanding of things probably is more about gathering questions in this life than it is gathering answers mm. and that the more questions I'm able to to gather when I sit on the Lord's lap when I'm done because again I'm as a little boy and can ask those questions uh, the more insights and the better I will understand my relationship with him mm. um, and, and my submission needs to just be that I need to just submit but there are times where submission becomes hard, especially when you watch your kids struggle, mm. when there are things that you don't necessarily think that the kids would go through if you hadn't come up to Spokane, mm. for instance, uh, where you go, oh, that could have been avoided if we had just stuck around family or hadn't had them have to find new friends, which they weren't used to because we had lived in the same area forever. Mm. Um, they didn't always find as good of friends as I would have hoped and such. Mm. Um, And so those are times where I go, really, Lord, do we really have to go through that one? Why? But I'm sure Abraham said the same thing when Abraham was asked to sacrifice his son and go, didn't we already do this, Lord? Didn't you and save me from my dad? I think we already did this. Why are we doing this again? Kind of thing. So, uh, I don't generally find myself asking the question of why. Mm. Um, that's just not, I will if I'm searching for understanding or support on how to go to the next step. But I don't generally question why God is it this way or why do I need to go through this? That's mm. uh, woe is me kind of thing, and I just don't have time for it. So. Mm. Let's go back to your escape from the MTC for just a minute. And sure. That in. Um, you shared how you knelt at the base of a mm-hmm. tree that didn't have snow under it and just basically yelled at God. Mm-hmm. Have you felt similar or had similar um, conversations with God since then? 
Sure. I'm just more respectful now. <laughs> you don't call him names anymore <laughs> as much. <laughs> right. I'm just more respectful. I understand that, um, you know, I, he's, I understand my relationship to him better than I did. Mm. We, use, we use the term father in heaven all the time, but I do view him more as my father than I used to. Mm. Um, we used, I used to almost just assume that that's just a, a term. Mm. My dad and I, being military, don't always have the same like familial uh, relationship as much as a uh, respect, where mm. I tell you to do something and you do it kind of thing. Mm. That was father upbringing versus um, a dad who wants to be my friend, mm. a dad who wants me to understand and learn and grow. Um, in that relationship or in that methodology, my respect has changed because my understanding of what a father can be has changed. Mm. And I think, you know, as you related, hey, I'm, I'm still in kindergarten here basically in life. A kindergartner will sometimes yell at his or her father and that's a why that's not fair or whatever. So it's kind of a similar thing, I think, you know. But uh, I like your perspective there of trying to learn and grow from these experiences, not necessarily asking why, but going along with it, surrendering, submitting, as you said, and gathering questions so that at a future day um, you can get the answers from from the, the source. direct source. Because right otherwise there. it's just going to be a source of confusion and and consternation and frustration yeah and i like to be an optimist i like to be happy i like to um yeah uh, that's kind of a driving motivation for me as i strive to be happy right so a little bit earlier you mentioned your um foray into social work yeah tell me about that tell me where that started and what it sure. has come into today um I've always in all of my careers done, been focused on helping people. So when I did mortgages, I still was doing it with the intent of bettering somebody's financial situation. When I did education, I was very much focused on helping them identify what would make them the most successful and the most happy in their world um, as they go forth. In social work, dealing with, I, I run or I ran a suicide crisis line for Spokane. And doing that, um, I was still very focused on how do I help them. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the need was a lot more immediate right. than it was when it was mortgage um, or when it was a education situation, but um, it was still always the same. Mm -hmm. It was, these are children of God. They find themselves in a situation where now I understand they're lonely. Mm -hmm. And most of the time, the people that are suicidal are, are feeling incredibly lonely mm. and, and lack a sense of reason and, and why, if it's not drug-related. Um, and so we would just, I taught my kids how to be compassionate. And I called my kids, my, my I would recruit students from mm. college mm. to volunteer on my crisis line. So they all became my kids. Mm. And I would teach them, Let's just have compassion. Let's have a concern for them because they, they deserve that mm. no matter who they are. 
So, so suicide crisis hotline. So when these people call in, I mean, it's it's a crisis right now, and they really are seeking, yeah, some sort of help, understanding, connection, Um, right? Or am I misinterpreting? We get a couple of different types of calls. Um, Mm -hmm. We would get those that are family members that are going. My family member is having a really hard time. Um, and we need help. And so we would direct them towards that help and help them get that and connect. Um, then there were the those that were you know, really just struggling with life and called in because they knew they needed more than they had the capacity to do at that moment, mm. but didn't want to burden somebody else. Mm. Uh, most of the time it was that they didn't want to burden um, and they knew we were anonymous and, and a safe way to burden Unload, yeah. uh, and and then be a little more okay. And then we had the regulars, the ones that that's all they had was our phone line. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's quite a few that use that, that are elderly uh, mm-hmm. or disabled, um, don't get out or are too scared to do anything but isolate and stay in their very small world. Um, and we become their window to the outside. Mm. Um, and so those are the main direct calls. Mm. I mean, there's always the oddball reasons for people calling, uh, but those were the main categories where you just generally get to connect them if it's really emergent to uh, police to uh, to fire department where we'd call 911 mm. um, because they're actively uh, hanging and they had the foresight to have a, uh, a cell phone with them. Wow, that's hard. Do you mind telling me about the first suicide you ever took? Um, the first suicide call I ever took was someone with a noose around their neck. Um, and that sudden realness took all the fear away. Mm. It was you no longer had the um, the capacity to be afraid. Mm. Um, somebody's life depended on you dealing with the situation right now. Mm. If you were scared or froze up, you they weren't going to get the help they needed. Right. And so um, it being real suddenly made it not scary anymore. Hmm. Um, suicide's not scary. It's a way. It's it happens, hmm. and I can promise that the Lord understands suicide. Hmm. He understands why we get there. He understands all the nuances that got us there, and His atonement is perfect and will overcome those choices that led us to there, as well as the ultimate consequence associated with it Hmm. we just don't know all those answers so how i mean i my own frame of mind is that suicide is never the answer but i understand i completely understand how someone can feel that this is the only answer at this point how does one I know the answer. I know the answer. Give me the answer. Because I struggle with this. Yeah. And I might kick myself that this is on a recording. 
but I, there are times where I too think, yeah, suicides, I can't help you with that because it goes against everything that I believe and everything that is. But in our capacity right now, I'm never going to be able to really help you. And so you are going to be burdened with this struggle the rest of your existence in this life. And that seems like a cruel, cruel joke sometimes. Mm. Um, but I know it's just because I'm in kindergarten mm. and I, I don't know how to multiply. I don't know how to take these struggles with these struggles mm. and, and make it fix. Um, somebody was showing me an article about how transformative insulin was mm. um, and just how immediate once they had that discovery, it was like, oh, mm-hmm. I believe and at least I hope that there will be times where we'll have that similar experience with suicide or mm. with all the leading situations that get us to the point of suicide. Mm. Um, but we we just don't have that we we don't understand the brain the way mm. uh the way we understand a lot of other our physical uh aspects of our body mm. uh president nelson was talking about how if you add something uh, something like magnesium chloride or something mm. to the heart the heart stops beating mm-hmm. and that becomes really important because you can't do surgery when it's beating right. it's it, it, you'll cause damage but he used to do seminars and teach these doctors about heart surgery. And he said, when you do this, add this chemical, the heart stops. And he talks about how people in the audience would always raise their hand and what if it doesn't work? He says, no, it's like gravity. It always works. I am confident that we will be blessed at some point in in this mortal existence where we will understand the components that go to suicide mm. or mental illness, mental right. our, our lack of mental health, um, and we'll be able to address that. Mm. But right now, we're not there. Mm. Uh, no more than we uh, used to not know how to solve measles, and we do now, or, or any of the other capacities that we have. We got things that the Lord has so poured out mm. blessings upon our heads with regards to improvements in our health and our capacities uh we just are still developing that for our mental capacity yeah that would be an amazing thing at some future date to have those types of like inoculations almost available for these types of i would love a pill that would solve schizophrenia Mm. or even more so bipolar yeah um what a hard way to live your existence Mm. But I can testify to you that I know the Savior understands that. Mm. And he is compassionate with that. And if there's somebody who's struggling with mental illness right now or mental health Mm. uh, or the lack thereof, there is help. It may not be as, it may not get you perfect. And it may only be a Band-Aid. And you'll still probably hurt and struggle but if you don't quit trying, there's still hope. Mm. Where the hope ends is when you stop the process of trying. And if you stop, then we are one less person towards finding a solution. Mm. Love that. 
as hard as that is to carry as a burden. If you're bipolar, the last thing you sometimes care about is anything outside of yourself. Um, your brain stops being able to even see it. Mm. So it often becomes not one of the uh, multiple choice answers. Mm. Um, and so you're doomed because you don't have the right answer available to you. And But at least if you keep trying, we get closer. Mm. And we've had great success with, with depression, great success with uh, schizophrenia, with, with bipolar, with all of these mm -hmm. um, issues. And there's so much that goes into it. Um, we could do a whole nother podcast on, on those kind of things. Um, but ultimately, it comes down to this mortal experience isn't just about this experience. It's about gathering questions so that when you're done, you have the toolbox of tools. You don't have to be experts at it. You just have the toolbox so that you can get to the next process, mm. the next level of development. Mm. But there's, there's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of emotional pain in our world right now. Mm. Um, and there's, uh, they escape sometimes through drugs. They escape through any way they can. Because if you've ever had something that hurts, um, it's all that you can focus on. Mm. It's all that anybody is able to identify with, and it becomes all-consuming. Mm. And when you've got this emotional pain that you can't get out, you can't get rid of, um, it, it wears you out. Mm. We'll, we'll stay there for a little bit, but I want to ask you a question. Previously, you said, I want to be happy. I am happy. I want to be positive and optimist, those types of things. Yeah. How do you carry that with, with these people hmm. unloading sure. on you? When I was, I remember in fifth grade learning the word optimist. Hmm. Um, it was a spelling word. Hmm. And um, that was the first insight I had that there was a word for something that I just strive to be. And then my um, seminary taught us that Adam fell that men might be and men are that they might have joy. That second Nephi 225. That became my favorite for two reasons. One, it was short and I could, I could remember that one. And second, I loved that our purpose in life is to learn to live happily. It's to have joy. And so that became a real focus for me of, what will bring joy? And so when I go into the office and I was dealing with phone calls or, or now I go into the hospitals or I go into the homes of the, of the people that are having these really hard times, all I can be is compassionate towards them. It's um, even, even when their choices clearly are putting them in a worse space, I know that the Lord is incredibly loving and compassionate towards them mm. and that he fully understands why they made the choice that they did and is okay with that. Mm. Not that he doesn't want them to make different choices. I'm not saying that. Right. 
but I am saying that his compassion and his grace for the choices that they made because he fully understands why they chose option A instead of option B. Mm. And that perspective and understanding gives you the capacity to be okay mm. and, and, to, and to love them through it. So now as you go into these people's homes who are mm-hmm. have hard things in their lives, yeah. um, and you know sometimes because of choices they've made in their own lives. Always. Always <laughs> because of choices yeah. they've made yeah. that uh, have brought them there. Do you ever, I'm trying to put myself in these shoes, I, I'd always want to come in with a hammer and be like, well, make the right choice, dang it, you know, or, or something like that because I'm not mm-hmm. as naturally compassionate mm-hmm. as some people are. Do you see times when when coaching, you know, a little bit in a way of, hey, do you see where these choices sure. have brought you? Let's make some different choices mm-hmm. are appropriate. And do you see other times where let's just be compassionate right here and not mm-hmm. worry about sure. hitting them over the head with anything? So depending on where they're at, mm-hmm. when, when I get to see them um, – in the current role where I'm uh, uh, responding to crisis because um, the police have been called and they need uh, like immediate support, all you can do is be compassionate for them. Mm. They are not in a space where clubbing is going to make any difference or coaching or encouragement even mm-hmm. is going to do anything. Um, it's just they're too introspective they're turned too much inside seeing anything outside of them Mm -hmm. isn't even a box they get to check and then if they are a little more open to that yeah we can try to coach try to counsel i find i try and occasionally we don't get to see them again and that's a happy thing Mm. um when they come back through the system and come back through the system and come back through the system over and over again, and we know that their behavior is such that we're going to see them again Mm. and again and again. Um, The system of care gets burdened Mm. uh, because it's money, it's uh, it's resources, it's our society is going, we've got all these homeless people or we've got all these drug addicts or we've got all these people that just chronically have these problems but in that moment when they are in that moment of hardship you you tend to be like huh we're here we'll help that's just all you can be because otherwise i don't think we'd be human Hmm. let's back up away from these these crisis moments that we're talking about here where compassion is the only thing i want to kind of pick your brain a little bit about the path that leads to those. And maybe let's talk about um, difficult choices. You've got yeah. many choices in front of you, and all of them seem difficult. How how would somebody that is moving towards these crisis moments try to be aware of those choices and, and try to make different choices if, they, if there are better, harder choices? I, I'm... I'm exhaling. Um, There's two schools of thought, okay? So the first one is, as a Latter-day Saint, you turn to the Lord, you trust in the Lord, you do the thing, you go to church, you read the scriptures, you say your prayers, 
and the world's just going to be rosy and sunny all your life. And it just is a lie. Um, it's not true. Mm. Um, and then to compound that, you have the expectations, you have the, the, the pretense that everybody else is doing great, and so I have to be doing great, when in reality, we're not doing great. None of us, and no matter how good the kids are, look <laughs> on Sunday sitting in the pew, or no matter how good of grades they get, or whatever it is that we naturally tend to pick the best of one and compare it to what our focus, what our pain point is uh, for us. Mm. And we go, if only I could have this. And, and that is just inhumane mm. for us to compare ourselves like that. And, and if there was something that I would encourage all of us to, to see what leads to those choices, it's the fact that we compare ourselves um, in a harmful way. Mm. We don't often compare ourselves with the intent of coaching to improve as much as beat ourselves up. Mm. And when we are striving to, even when we're striving to improve, Satan has such a great hold of our capacity to, uh, to ha- introduce despair, to introduce um, just despondency uh, 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 or a I don't care attitude or I can't care. It's too hard to mm. care. Um, and we can't get there either. Um, neither of those options are. We can't care so much that it becomes a driving force and we don't we we don't cease to ha- we cease to have compassion for ourselves or for others, mm. but we can't get to the other point where we are so despondent that we don't strive. We don't try because mm. joy is in the middle of those two. Mm. Um, and so that's from a Latter-day Saint perspective or anybody who's striving to do more than what they currently are because they have some belief or some faith that strives to get them to be more because mm-hmm. they have a belief in God or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, outside of that, um, oftentimes it's a level of choice from friends or a lack of friends or positive friends that would introduce these opportunities where at first it's to be accepted Mm -hmm. and then ultimately that desire to be accepted leaves you to be excluded Um, because when you vape all you uh, you're accepted by the vapors Mm. but that vaping causes other issues Mm. and it really ultimately isolates you to the point where you then become alone Mm. and when you're alone we're social creatures Mm. as a as a general rule we need people to be around Mm. we need people to care even if we don't want them to when it comes right down to it we are wired to have them around we are wired to be a part of a family as dysfunctional as they all are (laughs) ourselves included right absolutely yeah absolutely one of the um, 
very dominant themes in my life right now in my sur- the, the surrounding things that I do is this idea of connection versus isolation. Tell me a little bit about your thoughts. I mean, we've talked a little bit about the importance. We are social creatures. We're social animals, beings that, that really need that connection. But tell me your thoughts on the difference between connection and isolation beyond the obvious what the words mean themselves. What, what are the impacts of those words making? I think connection is purpose. You don't have to sit in front of somebody to be connected. Hmm. And this generation is proving that with a virtual being able to communicate via the internet and being able to have social connection but never seeing that person. Hmm. Um, that still is connection. Hmm. Being able to have a phone person on the phone. You never have to see them, but that's connection. Hmm. Isolation is where you don't desire or it's too much trouble or it's just hard and you aren't up to putting forth the effort to connect. Hmm. Um, and we get there. It takes work to be friends. Yeah. It takes work to try to get along. And sometimes we tend to say that's too much work. I'm not interested in investing that. Mm. But when we choose to not invest, we are also choosing not to experience happiness. Mm. Because the pain that comes from those relationships is also what causes mm. the joy to be possible. We have to go through the valleys to be able to get to the next mountain peak. You always have to go down. You always have to have seasons. You can't always be in summer. You have to have fall and winter. You have to. But man, that's not natural for us to want. Not we want, don't. But we don't want we it. We don't want it. The hope is that you can find purpose and belonging in it and then through that process get to the spring, yeah. get to the summer, and help others get through their winters mm. um, because you've been through it. And that connection helps make that possible and the willingness to connect. Uh, and I've noticed in my own life from my own experience and by watching and being around a lot of others is that isolation can be done even in large crowds of people who are, you know, I, I can sit in the middle of church with hundreds of other people around me and still feel absolutely, completely alone. What's your experience on, on that? And there are times where you want to be alone. Yeah, Where absolutely. I am perfectly content checking the box of going to church, but I am also perfectly okay with not having to say hi to anybody, mm-hmm. right? Uh, where if I can miss the greeter at the door by going through the cultural hall <laughs> and finding my seat in the back, then I'm going to do that. Mm-hmm. And, and we all feel that way, I think. I do. Yeah. And I'm generally a pretty social person. Um, but back to the initial question is you have to be willing to engage, even if you don't want to. Um, too many people look to others to engage them. And they go to church or they go to the YMCA or the gym or wherever they 
they do just so they can say that they did their part. Mm. But in reality, you're just lying to yourself. You didn't do your part. Mm. Your part would be to go say hi to 10 people. Mm. And if nobody says hi back, then go hi to another 10 people Mm. and be willing to do that. That's called not isolating. Mm. If you pick 10 people that you know aren't going to say hi back, then that didn't really connect. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, oh, absolutely. So we all, um, I go to social events all the time where I am perfectly content leaving my earbuds in. Um, or I have these bright orange hunting uh, earplugs. Uh-huh. And um, I like having earplugs in. Mm. Um, I enjoy thinking. I enjoy being in my own head. Mm. Um, it's not a scary place for me at all. Mm. Um, so I don't mind not connecting, especially after a work week where I'm, yeah. I'm perfectly content being by myself. Where you've been really trying to connect with people who may not want connection. Right? They don't. Right. No, they don't. Yeah. Most of the time. Man. So one of the phrases, and, and I hate to keep bringing this back to things, but this connection versus, I versus isolation thing is really important to me right now in my life. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I share with people who are in that spiral of isolation is, what, as I'm encouraging them to connect, is I say isolation is death. Mm. And that may mean actual physical death it may mean emotional death it may mean spiritual death it may mean all sorts of deaths but that phrase has really been powerful to me because when i want to isolate yes there are times when it's good to have solitude and i think there's a difference between solitude and isolation but um i have to make sure that i'm saying you know what isolation is death and it's going to lead me to a place that I've been before, and I don't want to go back. What What's your take on that? I love the youth mm-hmm. because I have had experiences where youth suicide or youth get hurt. And when you're in high school or you're in college and somebody gets hurt, they all rally around. Mm. Have you ever been to a church building when a kid lost their life? Mm-hmm. It fills the whole place, whatever venue you're at. But have you been to a 40-year-old person who dies? Mm. It tends to be a much smaller venue. And, and that's partially because just our natural progression is we, we become more specific on who we engage with. And, who, and so a, a natural set of isolations happen. Uh, because you have purpose, you have goals, you have ambitions that you're trying to pursue. Mm. And those exclude other things by its very nature. Mm. But as a result of that, that also narrows your frame of reference, your influence. And um, as a result, if you were to die, how many people would come to your mm. to your funeral versus when you were in high school? Mm. Um, for many of us, it might be a much smaller crowd. Mm. And so that's what comes to my mind when I picture isolation versus uh, this inclusion concept is, am I doing what I need to do to continue to have people willing to come to my funeral? Mm. 
Mm. And the reason why that's important to me is because I feel it's important to still connect. I need to still be willing to influence. Mm. And if I'm not influencing, then nobody's going to care that I am no longer available to influence. Mm. And life finds joy or joy comes when we influence. So how do you maintain, without being pushy or arrogant or look at me and still be able to maintain uh, a manner of having influence in people's lives so that when I do die, people come to my funeral? I, I mean, I don't know that that's yeah. an end goal to no. you to have a million people at your funeral, no. but there's some reality to sure. it. So yeah, sure. how, how do you do that? Um, People care about you when you show that you care about them. Mm -hmm. And so that's the short answer is I just make sure that I don't become so hardened that I don't care. Mm. If I can consistently show that I care, whether it be a smile, whether it be rolling down my window and talking to the person on the corner asking for money, Mm -hmm. um, or whether it's saying a prayer that day, help me to see someone who needs something that I can provide. Whatever it is, if you're doing that, you'll always have inclusion. There will always be. And they don't have to go to your funeral. They don't have to ever see you again. But the fact that at the end time, when you are meeting with your Savior, Mm-hmm. And and you are reviewing your life. I think it's going to be much more impactful to you on how much influence did you have, meaning how many people did you actively try to lighten their load? Because mm. Christ said, "My yoke is easy, mm. my burden is light," and the only way that would happen is if we, as angels, lighten other people's burdens. Mm. And so we just go from burden to burden, carrying what we can. And sometimes we need other people to carry our burdens. Mm -hmm. And then there are times where we're going to be able to carry a lot more than just our own, and we can carry others. Tell me about a time when your burden was too heavy for you and somebody came along and helped lift that for you. Mm. Probably the most recent. Um... um, People showing compassion to me always uh, tears me up. So it becomes a hard thing. But there was, uh, when I lost my job with Grand Canyon University and I I had to do that, it was was October 30th or something like that. And life was cold and, and stuff and just the idea of, okay, we got Christmas, we got all of these things, what are we gonna do? Uh, that initial time when people just came and showed they cared. Mm. Um, it didn't matter how, they, they just showed they cared. And that made all the difference. That got me through. Mm. That was the one of the biggest blessings we've ever had was being let go from GCU mm. because uh, I, I was in charge of helping some people and one of them was really sick. And so... She didn't have any family, and so by me not be having a job, I was able to help her 
get through that. Mm. Um, and ultimately, we took care of like getting her to hospice and doing all of that. And and it wouldn't have been able to happen if I was tied up with a job. Mm. Um, and I don't know that there was anybody else that could have mm. at that point. So what a great blessing once I got out of that initial shock and was able to no longer be woe is me, I was able to go, oh, here's somebody that needs me way more than anything else at this point. Mm. And so we, we spent the next couple of months at the hospitals and, and stuff like that. Mm. Another time that just popped into my head was when we were moving from uh, one location in Spokane to the, to the other place. I had 40, 50 people just show up at my door mm. to help move this house just incredible incredible kindness that just happens and i'm very grateful that the lord has always always done that he's always made sure that there were people that were there when i was too injured or too burdened Mm. to ask someone once shared with me and this can really easily be taken as a selfish type thing but they shared with me, I provide service as an insurance policy so that when I'm old and can't do things on my own, I trust that the things that I've done in my life leading up to this will, people will come to my funeral or people will come yeah. to my aid, yeah. you know? Yeah. And it was a really powerful statement that he said, um, but once again, it can sound really selfish, you know? No good deed goes unrewarded or unpunished, whatever it would be, you know? It sounds to me like, and I'm not saying you do this for this reason, but you are putting yourself out there, showing compassion and helping lift and serve others, and that comes around. Sure. So it starts out with this idea of karma, Mm -hmm. but then you start realizing there's joy in that, Mm. Um, and that becomes the motivation. When when Christ served, he served because he loved the people, Mm. but what came first, the serving or the love? Mm. And for us, in this status or state of of life, the service comes first. Mm. Um, That's why we're told to serve. That's why we're told to emulate our Savior is because in that service, we learn to love. Mm. Um, I love uh, those that walk on the street with no shoes. Mm. And I never would have if I hadn't been in the role that I am now. I never knew what it was like to, well, I'll, I'll, I'll back up just briefly. Okay. Being a military brat, we were always taught work, mm-hmm. right? We were always taught personal responsibility. You have every responsibility to do whatever you can. And so working was just what you did. And if there was somebody who was less fortunate, well, it's probably because they weren't working as hard. Mm-hmm. And that's just kind of the upbringing. And, um, then I met a society of people that don't have bootstraps that they can pull themselves up with. Mm. It's not even an option that they get to. They are below that, whether it be through capacities of their own or poor choices or whatever it is. The reality is I can't have that same level of expectation for them. Mm. And, um, I'm a rarity in my office being a uh, 
definitely leaning towards a compassionate conservative, a uh, a Republican uh, by general nature of if you're going to mm-hmm. color it. Um, but on the flip side, that's only because I recognize that there's personal responsibility that we all have to do. There's joy that comes from that. But if you don't love, if your motivation isn't love, then then you're missing out on the joys of life. Mm. And at some point, no matter how much wealth you have, you leave it all. Mm. No matter how much um, stuff or real, uh, whatever it is, mm. the only thing we take are our relationships and our knowledge. Mm. And if you spend time caring about people, even if it's out of selfishness, I believe eventually your heart will be softened to the point that you will learn to love. Mm. And when you love, you will have peace. You will have greater capacity to carry burden and you will have joy. Mm. And that's what the Lord's promised us. He has promised us that we can live in peace and we can live in joy. And in spite of the winter or the storms of life, John, are there any other experiences or or words of wisdom that you feel you really want to share at this point in this conversation? I would love everybody to recognize that they are children of God. That no matter what their upbringing, whatever their background, Muslim, Buddhist, Christian, Latter-day Saint, Protestant, whatever it is, God loves them. He really, really does love them. Um, And I have been blessed because of the experiences that I've had with the unlovable. Mm -hmm. Because the Spirit is so present with them. But with that, I, I want us to recognize that we need to be so much more compassionate than we are with each other. Mm. Um, I would love, one of my dreams is that under the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, visitors welcome, that we put another banner that says something like, this includes the smokers, the transvestites, the drug addicts, the, uh, the single parent uh, that has a kid that's hard to handle, uh, whatever it is, because we need them there, mm-hmm. and they need us, and we need to be able to have compassion more than have this air of everything's good with me, everything is fine, yeah. because the reality is. Our kids come to us as parents, and they come in different packages. And sometimes they come with ADHD, which makes them really hard to handle, or they come with depression, or they come with uh, other DNA disformities that would prevent them from being whatever perfect perfection is. And that isn't a show of dad's wrong or dad's bad or mom's bad Mm. because there are good kids with hard parents and there are bad kids with great parents and we 
just can't judge because our kid may make us feel like we are less worthy or because brother or sister so-and-so has these perfect kids and I don't. Mm. So what makes, what am I doing wrong? Or my kid doesn't want to go to church anymore. What did I do wrong? Did I screw him up? And the reality is that God's plan is so much bigger than that. Mm. We're in kindergarten and they are too. And when we graduate kindergarten and we get our little promotion certificate and we get to go to the next spot, mm-hmm. we're going to realize just how false that belief system was. Mm. Things to think about. What, uh, what legacy do you hope to leave for those who come behind you? If the Lord grants me my wish... It'll be that I was successful at bringing the or influencing the people that I promised I would influence in the preexistence. I feel like I have a responsibility to show compassion and care so that people will follow in my footsteps so that they can then find the Lord. Hmm. Because I know, I know the Savior Jesus Christ. I know he lives. And I I used to want to seek his face because the scriptures tell us that we can. Mm-hmm. And, and while I do, because that was a transforming passage for me, in Doctrine and Covenants 93.1, it changed my life when I read that. When the Lord said, yes, you can do that. And the accompanying message that came with that blessing was that the Lord does live. And the message is that he loves his brothers and sisters. That we are his everything. Mm. His whole purpose is us and he's perfect at it Mm. and so even though we can't see that perfection right now because it would screw up our kindergarten experience he is perfect at it and we just need to trust and care if we care about others our burdens will be lightened and if our burdens are lightened we will have peace and when we graduate we will then have that greater capacity to understand that he is perfect in this process called the plan of salvation and that we are loved. This has been fun. Thank you. No, thank you, John. That was fantastic. Now, some of the um, one-liners that I took from this that I think will affect me for years and years to come are as follows. Life is about gathering questions, not necessarily about gathering answers. Obviously, we are in kindergarten. Um, It's inhumane to compare ourselves to others. It takes work to be friends. You have to be willing to engage. I mean, these are just amazing thoughts and thought-provoking 
phrases that I think can and will help me, and I hope help many others who may be struggling with some thoughts, with some um, just feelings of being lost and maybe hopelessness. I hope that this conversation has brought you some hope, um, perhaps some desire to reach out and connect with others and just be the friend that others need to have and that you need to be. Anyways, once again, thank you so much for listening to the Journey Through Life podcast and this conversation with John Dubois. Once again, I invite you to go check us out on Facebook and Instagram, our website, www.jtlpod.com, and also check out our partners. Um, This next week is going to be a good one again, and I look forward to seeing you all back here in a week's time. Have a great week. Thank you.